Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. Today's tale occurred in the year 1881 and changed maritime safety forever. But what else happened that year? Well, on the 12th of March, Andrew Watson of Glasgow's Queen Park Football Club, who was of mixed Scottish and British Guyanese background, captains the Scotland national football team in a 6-1 victory against England, becoming the world's first mixed-race international association football player. On the 27th of March in Basingstoke, antagonism between the Salvation Army and supporters of the licensed trade becomes so great that the Riot Act is read and troops are called in to restore order. On April the 28th, Billy the Kid escaped from the Lincoln County New Mexico jailhouse, killing two deputies on guard. He avoided capture until July the 14th, when he was ambushed and killed by Sheriff Pat Garrett at the ranch home of Pete Maxwell. Billy the Kid is buried in Fort Sumner, New Mexico. On the 8th of December, a fire at the Ring Theatre in Vienna, Austria, kills at least 620 people and injures hundreds more. The luxurious ornate theatre hosted the most popular performances of the day. That night, it had the second night of Jacques Offenbach's opera Les Contraires de Hoffmann, which was proving popular with both the wealthy and middle class of Vienna. According to the custom of the time, the wealthy theatre patrons who sat up front near the stage did not arrive until the last minute, so the two balconies at the ring filled up first. It was about 6.45 when a stagehand took a long arm igniter to light the row of gaslights above the stage, and that's when he accidentally lit some prop clouds that were hanging over the stage. But our tale started on the 17th of January, when the HMS Dotterall, a screw sloop which was 1,320 tons, sailed from Sheerness in Kent, en route to the British Pacific Fleet. The vessel had been built the previous year at Chatham, and she carried six guns and a crew of 155. Some of the passengers may have been bound for ships already on station in the Pacific. One of the survivors, for instance, Engineer Walker, was due to join HMS Garnet, but as you'll find out, he wasn't going to make that. Word of the week. And this week, my friends, 
I give you Footloose. Yes, and I'm not talking about the film. It comes from the fact that the bottom portion of a sail is called the foot. And if it's not secured, it's footloose, and it dances randomly in the wind. Every now and then you come across a little nugget of information that you think, I like that. And for me, that's mine. Ships of the same class as HMS Dotterall were usually armed with two 7-inch muzzle-loading rifle guns on pivoting mats and four 64-pounder muzzle-loading rifle guns, two on pivoting mats and two broadside. Four machine guns and one light gun completed the weaponry. These sloops were used in the far-flung parts of Britain's maritime empire for constabulary duties. Barnaby, Dotterall's designer, was an enthusiast of heavily armed but unarmoured ships, arguing that the Navy's task was best accomplished by a number of small, cheap ships. The system of colonial cruisers provided an inexpensive peacekeeping force for the protection as well as a supply of sailors, marines and guns to deal with local rebellions and banditry. Dotterall was assigned to the Pacific Station, which included the western coasts of North and South America, as well as China and Japan. Under Commander Richard Evans, she sailed from Sheerness on the 17th of January 1881, having called at Madeira, St. Vincent and Montevideo. She anchored at Puente Arena in Chile on the 26th of April 1881 at 9am. But barely one hour after mooring, an accidental explosion occurred in the forward magazine. Eyewitnesses described how objects of every type were thrown high into the air and a huge column of smoke was seen to rise from the ship. Her upper deck and part of both sides of the hull were destroyed. Half a minute later, a second more powerful explosion destroyed the ship and sent her to the bottom. The vessel sank in minutes, with the loss of 143 lives. Boats of every kind were put off from the shore to seek survivors, as well as for the missionary schooner Alan Gardner, the Chilean schooner San Jose and the pontoon Kate Kellogg. There were only 12 survivors rescued by a boat from San Jose, among them the ship's captain, he was found stripped naked by the blast and bleeding from several wounds. That afternoon, crews recovered bodies from the water. Only three were recovered whole. The various body parts were put into boxes and buried at sea the same afternoon. Other remains of the dead were buried in the Old Town Cemetery on the site of the present-day Plaza Lutaro Navarro. The ceremony was conducted by the Reverend Thomas Bridges, Superintendent Missionary in Ushaya, who happened to be in port at the time. Commander Richard Evans, the captain of Dotterall, telegrammed the Admiralty from Montevideo on the 3rd of May 1881. Dotterall, totally destroyed and sunk by explosion of 4 magazine at Sandy Point. Note 1, 10am. 
April 26, cause unknown supposed boiler burst and exploded magazine. 12 survivors, all well, proceeding in Britannia for Liverpool. Stokes, Lieutenant, remains Sandy Point, awaiting orders, have telegraphed Pacific and Jones. Survivors, Commander Evans, Lieutenant Stokes, Paymaster Colborne, Engineer Walker of Garnet, Carpenter Baird, Gunner's Mate Pengelly, Quartermaster Trout, Caulker's Mate Ford, Shipwright Walkers, Ordinary Seaman James Smith, Stoker Turner, Marine Summers, Discharged, Inlis, Clark, Miggeridge, Sick Bayman, Hayes, Private, Motton, A.B., John Ellery, A.B., Deserted, Dead, Eight Officers, 135 Men. A couple of months after the disaster, a monument of wood and canvas was erected over the grave of the Dotterall crew by the crew of HMS Turquoise. The old cemetery was closed in September 1894 and the remains of the Roman Catholic burials were transferred to the newly opened municipal cemetery. The ship's guns, screw and other valuable fittings were salvaged by Garnet and Turquoise. The contemporary rules governing pensions allowed the widows or dependent children of the dead men a gratuity equal to a year's pay, although the loss of their property was not compensated. In December 1936, the municipality obtained permission from the Royal Navy to relocate the Dotterall burial to its current location. This was done with great formality. The cortege was accompanied by a guard of honour and speeches were made. The original monument was likewise moved to the new location by men of HMS Ajax. Subsequently, a bronze memorial was commissioned by Tom P. Jones, a prominent member of the resident British community. The plaque, which records the names of the victims, is set at ground level. It is located in the British section of the cemetery. The question is, what caused the explosion? Initial reports blamed the explosion on the boilers, which detonated the magazine. This was definitely proven to be wrong when the crew of Garnet found the boilers in perfect condition. Another suggestion was that the explosion could have been caused by a whitehead torpedo lost at by Shah in 1878, or coal gas from the bunkers might have caused the explosion. O'Donovan Rosser, an Irish terrorist living in New York, claimed that the Dotterall was blown up by his group of dynamiters, a claim he made several times. He explained that the ship was sabotaged while at the Chatham Dockyard, where she was built, and that two other unnamed ships had been similarly rigged. He claimed that a dynamite torpedo, which was shaped to look like a piece of coal, had been planted into the bunker at the shipyard and that, when it was finally used, it caused the first explosion. Because of the design of the ship, the forward magazine exploded seconds later. 
almost every high official discounted this claim and it does not appear that it was ever taken seriously except by Rosser. Word on the street. Righto, folks. Today we go to Manila Road in BS8. And the name was taken from Manila Hall, described in Morgan's Guide of 1851 as an elegant family mansion embosomed in limes and evergreens. In the grounds stood an obelisk to the memory of William Pitt, Earl of Chatham, and a cenotaph dedicated to the warriors of the 79th Regiment, who defended Madras and fought in the battles of Wanderwash, Arcot, Pondicherry, Manila and the Philippine Islands. The memorials were erected by Sir William Draper, who took part in the campaign and was in command at the capture of Manila in 1782. The obelisk now stands on the downs. Following the explosion, an inquiry was held at Portsmouth, which referred the evidence to a scientific committee. In September 1881, they determined that the explosion was caused by the detonation of coal gas in the bunkers, and that no crew members were at fault. On the 21st of November, an explosion occurred in Triumph. A strange coincidence had her just off the coast of Chile at the time of the blast, but several hundred miles from where Dotterall had gone down. Three men were killed and seven were wounded. In the House of Commons on the 9th of February 1882, Sir John Hayes asked the Secretary of the Admiralty, Can you state the nature of the explosion on board HMS Triumph and say whether the accident there throws any further light on the loss of HMS Dotterall? In the end, the mystery is solved by a survivor of the Dotterall, Corker's mate John Ford, who was watching a man paint a chest on board HMS Indus and noticed a distinct smell. He asked the painter what he was using and was told that it was Zaratine Sicative, the stuff that had caused the explosion on board the Triumph. That smell that Chalker's mate John Ford detected, Zeratine Sicative, is a patent dryer used as an additive in paint, which causes the oil to thicken and solidify or dry quickly. In the new ironclad ships, it was added to the paint used between the double bottom holes to prevent corrosion. However, the fumes from this chemical were highly explosive and did not dissipate in closed environments as later experiments would prove. His inquisition into the smell would bring out the truth of what happened to the Dotterall. Because he went to the authorities and explained to them that the night before Dotterall exploded, two seamen were sent down below to bring up two blocks. They found a jar containing eight gallons of a liquid which was unmarked and unknown to them. In the course of moving it, the jar cracked and the liquid began leaking out. It gave a distinct odour, the same odour, Ford said, he could smell on the Indus. (music) 
It had been later that evening that a first lieutenant could smell an odour seeping up from below and asked Corker's mate John Ford to investigate what it was the following morning. It was then that he'd smelled the chemical for the first time. The next morning, Ford had sent two men below to locate and clean up whatever was escaping from below. The two men returned with an earthenware jar which was leaking the chemical. They put the contents into a can and threw the jar overboard and Ford was informed that the chemical had seeped into the bilges and had run under the Ford magazine. He instructed them to go below and clean it up. The two men went back below and appeared to have broken a standing rule. No open flames below deck. Ford said he did not see them take a naked flame below, but that it was not out of the question that they did. After all, there was very little light below, and they may have found the lanterns to be of little use in the areas they were working in. A second witness, Carpenter Baird, testified that he had seen them take a candle below, and he was sure that this was the cause of the explosion. After this stunning testimony, several tests were carried out by the Admiralty and it was found that xerotin sicative was a very explosive chemical and by late January 1882 it was removed from all ships as a dangerous explosive and its use was discontinued. The tests took until October of that year but they confirmed that the explosion was caused by the chemical. If it wasn't for Mr Ford's nose, we may never have learned the true reason for the loss of Dotterall. As I said earlier, a memorial plaque made of wood and canvas was placed in the British section of Punta Arena's cemetery in 1936 by the crew of the Turquoise. A bronze memorial with the names of the dead was placed in the Punta Arena's municipal cemetery where the dead were relocated in 1936 after initially being interred in the Old Town Cemetery. A marble wall tablet was placed in the chapel lobby of the Royal Naval College in Greenwich, now the Old Royal Naval College. A private memorial exists in Winchester Cathedral to William Carmichael Forrest, first lieutenant of HMS Dotterell, son of Captain Forrest, chief constable of Hampshire, and his wife, Selina. William's body was recovered much later and buried in the cemetery at Sandy Point on July the 4th, 1881, according to the memorial. A sister ship of Dotterell, HMS Gannett, still exists at Chatham's historic dockyard and can be visited there. But what started my particular discovery of this story and researching to find out more about what happened was a trip to St Germana's churchyard in Rame, Cornwall, where lies the gravestone of John T. Mormon, an able seaman, aged only 25, who perished in the explosion. If you want to find out more about this tale, and you can find the episode, look for The Sea Hunters, Season 5, Episode 1, which talks all about finding the wreck of HMS Dotterell. If you see somebody showing any of the signs of a stroke, you don't have to think about it, you just dial 999. Use the FAST test. F. Face. Has their face fallen on one side? Can they smile? A. Arms. 
Can they raise both arms and keep them there? S. Speech. Is their speech slurred? T. Time. Time to call 999 if you see any one of these signs. Act fast, make the call, dial 999. In the news today, someone tried to get me to sign up to be an organ donor. I thought, ah, there's a man after my own heart. Back in the day facts. Let's start with the 7th of May, 1429, when the English siege of Orleans in France was broken by Joan of Arc and the French army. On the 7th of May, 1867, Swedish chemist Alfred Nobel patents dynamite in England the first of three patents he would receive for the explosive material. On the 8th of May, 1348, a ship from Bordeaux carrying the plague lands in Melcombe Regis, which is now Weymouth, in Dorset. This began the terrible pestilence, or Black Death, in England. The death toll estimates vary widely, but it's generally believed to have killed between 50 to 125 million people. The infection is thought to have originated in China or Inner Asia, carried along the Silk Road trading route, on its way destroying the army of the Mongol ruler Jani Beg, who was besieging the Genoese town of Kaffa in the Crimea. In a cruel strategy trying to weaken the defenders, he flung the infected corpses of his men at the Genoese inside the city. Infected sailors went back to their hometown in Genoa, Italy, thus beginning the European outbreak of the plague. On the 9th of May, 1865, President Andrew Johnson issues a proclamation declaring armed resistance in the South is virtually at an end. This is the commonly accepted end date of the American Civil War. The 9th of May 1946 saw King Victor Emmanuel III of Italy abdicating and being succeeded by his son, Umberto II, who reigns for only 34 days before the monarchy is abolished. The 10th of May 1869 saw the Golden Spike being driven, which completed the first US transcontinental railroad at Promontory Summit, Utah, and connecting the Central Pacific Railroad with the Union Pacific. On the 11th of May, 1310, 54 members of the Knights Templar were burned at the stake in France for being heretics. Also on the 11th of May, but in 1812, the British Prime Minister, Spencer Percival, is assassinated by John Bellingham in the lobby of the House of Commons, London. Ironically, Descendants of both later stand for the same seat in Parliament at the same time, but neither win. On the 12th of May, 1215, English barons serve an ultimatum on King John, which eventually leads to the creation and signing of the Magna Carta. And lastly, on the 12th of May, 1789, 
William Wilberforce makes his first major speech in abolition in the UK House of Commons, reasoning the slave trade morally reprehensible and an issue of natural justice. I'm afraid that signals the end of the show. But don't worry, I'll be here same time, same place next week. And I hope you agree with me that that was an amazing story. I'm very lucky that the Colker's mate John Ford was in the right place at the right time. For today's show, I'd like to thank Molly Jeffries from St. Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, as well as Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background? That's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>